Well, good morning. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. As we move ahead in our Royal Failures sermon series, we come to one of the more recognizable names that we'll discuss. And it's a name that some may not expect in a series with this title. That name is Solomon. Saul, yeah, he was definitely a failure. And Absalom, well, as we saw last week, calling him a failure may be putting it generously. But Solomon? Why is Solomon on this list of not-so-savory characters? I mean, wasn't Solomon renowned for his wisdom? And didn't he build the first permanent temple for God's presence on earth? And during Solomon's years on the throne, wasn't Israel at the height of its power, prosperity, and influence? How can we possibly call a man with a resume like that, the man who was arguably Israel's second greatest king, a royal failure? While Solomon's accomplishments are undeniable, we Christians are sometimes guilty of lionizing him a bit too much. We focus on the good parts and ignore the bad. We emphasize Solomon's virtues and overlook his vices. We hold Solomon up as a great Old Testament hero, not a villain. But the truth is that Solomon's legacy is complicated at best. But come on, nobody's perfect. We've all made mistakes. Even the most righteous among us has our fair share of weaknesses, faults, and flaws. Is it really fair to call Solomon a royal failure? Let's read Solomon's story today and try to come to some conclusions. And hopefully learn some valuable lessons for our own lives as we go. So open up to 1 Kings chapter 1. Feel free to follow along as we read. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the people in this room. Uh, Thank you that after weeks of bad weather and icy roads and cold temperatures, uh, that we have more people here uh, worshiping you, that we have more people drawing near physically to worship you. Uh, We thank you for that. Uh, Lord, thank you for those people who are worshiping online. Uh, I pray that you would watch over them and that they would experience an encounter with you this morning, even through a screen uh, that may be less than ideal. uh, But Lord, we pray that uh, the ministry that we do here at Prairie View would extend beyond just this room this morning and that you would be glorified in other places by other people who aren't here. Uh, And Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, who brings us together. Uh, It's by your son's life and death and resurrection that we can draw near to you. Uh, And so, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for that. And help us learn lessons from the text that we're about to read today. Uh, Again, some of these stories may seem distant and removed and foreign, and they're not always the stories that we would naturally open up to uh, as we do our own devotions, as we do our own Bible reading. Uh, But, Lord, they are in your word for a reason. And so I pray that you would use these texts and use these figures, these people, these stories to teach us about ourselves and teach us about our world and teach us about you. 
Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you for Sunday morning. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So as we get started, who is Solomon? Well, Solomon is the only surviving child of King David's marriage to Bathsheba, the wife he sinfully stole from his servant Uriah. And notably, Solomon was not David's oldest living son. That title belonged to Adonijah, and that will be important in just a moment. Solomon's name means something like bringer of peace. An alternate name for Solomon was Jedidiah, which means something like beloved of the Lord. But as his father, King David, limped to the finish line of his own reign, succession, naturally, became a topic of conversation. And as David's oldest living son, Adonijah assumed that he would take the throne. He even took proactive steps to secure his position as Israel's next king. But David had made a promise to Bathsheba. He promised that her son Solomon, not Adonijah, would be heir to the throne. So David publicly anoints Solomon as his successor. Adonijah, to his credit, gets the message and stands down. And Solomon becomes the new king in Israel. And before King David dies, he gives Solomon specific instructions. We see those in chapter 2, verse 1, in the book of 1 Kings. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So David stresses the significance of Solomon's worship and obedience to the Lord. David knew from his own personal failings the damage that a sinful king of Israel could do. But then in the verses following, David also instructs Solomon to clean house. Joab, David's murderous general, who we heard a little bit about last week, is to be put to death. Shammai, a man who cursed David during Absalom's rebellion, is to be punished as well. And Solomon takes care of both men and then some. He eventually strikes down Adonijah as well, who may have still been harboring some bitterness against his family. But either way, the transition from King David to King Solomon is complete even if it was not without headaches. But maybe it was necessary to smooth out those bumps in the road. Solomon had to get off on the right foot, and the last thing he needed was corrupt holdovers leading him astray, or men of questionable loyalty plotting behind his back. 
Now Solomon can focus on being the righteous king God called him to be. The righteous king his father challenged him to be. But will Solomon do it? Will he be faithful to the Lord with all his heart and all his soul as David called him to be? Jump ahead to 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So here we see the first big trait that Solomon is known for. Wisdom. Solomon was young. He was new. Some may have claimed that he had no right to the throne over Adonijah. But Solomon had the wherewithal, the humility, and the faith to ask God for help. He asked God not for power, not for riches, not for honor, but for wisdom. And sure enough, God gives it to him. Solomon becomes known all around the world for his uncommon wisdom. He settles disputes. 
He writes countless words of wisdom, some in other places in Scripture. Solomon is so wise that the Queen of Sheba travels around the world just to hear him speak. But did you notice verses 1 through 4? There are already some visible cracks in Solomon's armor. He married Pharaoh's idolatrous daughter for political gain. He seemed unconcerned about his people worshiping false gods at pagan altars, and he even dabbled in it himself. But that won't come back to bite him, will it? Well, another thing that might help eradicate idolatry in Israel is building a temple for God's presence. And that's Solomon's second big accomplishment. He did what his father David couldn't do, building a magnificent place of worship. The majestic and mysterious Ark of the Covenant finally has a permanent home. Solomon's sacrifices are seemingly endless. His prayers are eloquent and God is pleased. Look at 1 Kings chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gideon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built, putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me, as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children... And do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples, and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. So once again, Solomon is reminded of his calling. Walk before God in full-hearted worship and obedience. Solomon is clearly warned of the disastrous consequences if he strays. But surely that won't happen, right? I mean, after all, who needs high places to false gods when you have a glorious temple to the one true God? Those old sins of chapter 3, they're a thing of the past, right? So Solomon is amazingly wise. He builds this glorious temple. 
And of course, we can't talk about Solomon without also talking about his wealth. In Solomon's day, Israel became an economic powerhouse. The kingdom expanded. The military grew. Everyone was happy. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 21, we read, Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Verse 27 says that silver was as common in Jerusalem as stone. Everyone was wealthy. They had everything. Now, surely all this success won't go to Solomon's head, will it? I mean, David's dying words to him were about faithfulness to the Lord. And God himself has now reiterated the exact same thing. And come on, Solomon's too wise to get too far off course. Well, sadly, in some very real ways, he already is off course. In Deuteronomy 17, well before the Israelites ever even requested a king, God proactively laid out how a king of Israel should and should not behave. He should treasure God's law. He should fear the Lord. He must not consider himself better than his brothers. God adds that a non-Israelite should not reign over his people. But Solomon had a thing for foreign women. God says Israel's king should not go to Egypt for horses. Well, Solomon went there not just for his horses, but for his queen. God says Israel's king should not acquire many wives and much silver for himself. Solomon has both. And why must the king avoid these things? According to Deuteronomy 17, lest his heart turn away. Lest his heart turn away. So now the question becomes, can Solomon, with all his wisdom, can he neglect God's words? Can he have all these treasures and still worship and obey the Lord with his whole heart? Will Solomon be the exception to the rule? Or will he be yet another casualty of sin? I think you know the answer. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel... You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. 
Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So sadly, predictably, as God had warned, Solomon's heart turned away. For all of his accomplishments, his unmatched wisdom, his building of the temple, his endless wealth, Solomon is the first king in the Bible described as doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Solomon would not be the last. In fact, it could be argued that Solomon took the first step down the slippery slope of wickedness that so many future kings would slide down. Solomon was a great king in the eyes of the surrounding nations. And that's part of the problem. He was wise. He was wealthy. And he was thoroughly worldly. So at best, Solomon's legacy is mixed. Some have observed that in Hebrews chapter 11, the New Testament passage listing some of the greatest heroes of the Old Testament, Solomon's name is noticeably and ominously absent. So maybe Solomon isn't quite the role model that we sometimes make him out to be. He may even be considered a royal failure. But what practical lessons might we as Christians take away from this portion of the biblical story? Well, first, wisdom is not enough. Wisdom is not enough. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible speaks highly of wisdom. Entire books are dedicated to it. According to Proverbs 8, verse 11, wisdom is more precious than rubies. And in James 1, Christians are instructed to ask God for wisdom, much like Solomon did. Wisdom is a good thing for Christians to pursue. It's a fruit of the Spirit that God develops within us. But wisdom did not make Solomon immune to sin. And if Solomon can fall, so can you, and so can I. No matter how wise, how discerning, and how mature we may think we are. As much as the Bible speaks positively of wisdom, it also warns us not to be wise in our own eyes. 
when it comes to the problem of sin. Our heart's inclination to drift away from worship and obedience to God. Wisdom is not enough. To truly address the problem of sin, we need more than wisdom. We need a savior. Second, Solomon's story warns us against compromising our faithfulness to God for the sake of getting ahead. Solomon's idolatry and lust really, truly got started when he married Pharaoh's daughter for political gain. In doing so, he disobeyed God, perhaps assuming that he'd be able to play with fire and not get burned. And while all those politically motivated marriages may have served Solomon and Israel well in worldly terms, helping them become powerful and influential and prosperous. And while all the women Solomon collected like trinkets may have brought him a great deal of temporary pleasure. His faithfulness to God was ultimately shipwrecked by these moral compromises. And the entire nation of Israel would sink with him we may be tempted to cut corners of our faith for the sake of getting ahead thinking that it won't really hurt us we may convince ourselves that we can flirt with turn a blind eye to or justify sin without it truly leading our hearts astray we may think we're the exception of the rule and that while others may have gotten burned it won't happen to us We would be wrong. Solomon compromised with sin for the sake of getting ahead, and it ultimately led to his destruction. It wasn't worth it. It never is. Solomon gained the whole world, but lost his soul. And if you compromise your worship and your obedience to God for the sake of getting ahead, so will you. Third, Solomon is yet another example of failing to finish strong. There are too many of them in the Bible and outside of the Bible as well. All of Solomon's good works throughout his life are stained by his failure at the end. No matter how old we are, No matter how long we follow Jesus, no matter how many times we've read the Bible, no matter how much wisdom we think we've acquired, there will never be a day when we put our faithfulness to God on cruise control. We may retire from our jobs one day, but we will never retire from growing in holiness. We will never graduate beyond temptation. Solomon's story challenges us to finish well. Not by our strength, but by seeking God's help all the way to the end. Not just at the beginning, when we're young, when we're new, when we're unwise. We always need God's help, not just at the start. In 2 Samuel 7, God gave King David a great promise. He said that he would build David a house... And give David a son whose kingdom would be established forever. And you know, at the peak of his reign, it may have appeared that Solomon was the guy. 
Israel looked unstoppable in every way. But then sin crept into Solomon's heart. And as we'll see next week with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the consequences would be catastrophic. It's a sad story. All that potential wasted. That promise seemingly unfulfilled. I mean, if Solomon, with all his amazing accomplishments, isn't the guy, then who in the world is? Well, in the New Testament, along comes a man named Jesus. A descendant of David, often referred to as the son of David. And this man would prove to be the perfect embodiment of God's wisdom. Though the world thought him foolish. This man did not build a massive temple, but insisted that in his own body, God's presence was on earth. This man didn't have much in terms of worldly possessions, but promised all who believed in him eternal riches. And in Matthew 12, verse 42, Jesus tells the religious leaders, speaking of himself, that something greater than Solomon is here. Solomon fell into sin. This man didn't. Solomon compromised his faithfulness to God. This man wouldn't. Solomon didn't finish strong. This man did. All the way to the cross. In many ways, Solomon was great. But in other ways, he was a royal failure. Jesus Christ, on the other hand was, and still is, great in every way. He is the true son of David, the king who reigns forever, the true bringer of peace, the true beloved of the Lord. And by his life, his death, and his resurrection for sins, he makes all who believe in him beloved of the Lord as well. Something greater than Solomon has come and will come again. Praise God for that. And may we worship him with our whole heart and our whole soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Again, thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you that our hopes are not in kings. Our hopes are not in buildings. Our hopes are not in riches, as impressive as those things might be. Our hope is in you. Lord, give us wisdom, but also give us wisdom to see that wisdom is not enough. That we need something more than just wisdom. We need something more than just discernment. We certainly need something more than worldly success. We need a savior. Because we are sinners, and our hearts are so easily led astray. But I pray that you would bind our hearts to you. Lord, help us ask for your help. Give us your spirit for the sake of of helping us worship you with our whole heart and our whole mind. Help us learn the lessons of those who came before us, so that we might grow in holiness, grow in maturity, and finish well worshiping you with our whole heart, our whole soul, all the way to the end. And thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was not the typical king in the way Solomon was, 
But thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is certainly no royal failure. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name.